Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, good morning, Portico. That was good. <laughs> I was going to make a comment, but that was, that was good. <laughs> hey, it's good to be back, not just in the church, but to be uh, back up here on the platform. I love, I love being here. And over the past few weeks, whether it's because of vacation time or guest speakers, I haven't had the chance to, to preach for a while. And so I'm really looking forward to this morning to bringing you a message I think about a topic that's really going to speak to a lot of us this morning. It's a topic that we don't really like to talk about. Uh, we don't want to admit that we have this problem, uh, but we do. And the problem is this. It's, it's fear. Fear and mistrust. Fear of failure. Fear that people aren't going to like you. Fear of rejection. Fear that you're going to make the wrong decision. You're afraid of this message. Anybody honestly ever struggle with fear? Right? Fear holds us back, I think, more than anything else in this world. And sometimes the fear can be warranted, but many times it's not. And sometimes fear becomes of, or happens because of previous experiences that were negative in nature. And because we remember those experiences, Fear holds us back from going forward and doing things. And we're going to learn again from the life of Moses and the Israelites in particular as we see again how fear almost cost them their reward. Fear almost cost them everything that God had been building for almost 40 years in their lives. And they get to the cusp of entering into the land. And Some of you are going to think that I'm preaching the same message that Pastor Doug preached last week and the week before because there's a theme, complaining. The people complain. God does something, they don't like it, it didn't happen exactly the way they wanted, and they complain. They repent, God relents, they do it all over again. This is the story of Israel. And as we've been spending all these months together... It's a pattern that we've noticed in their lives. And if you can believe it, we're in the final three messages of this Exodus journey. We spent um, almost six months together going through this incredible journey from Egypt all the way through into Jericho, into the Promised Land, and we have three messages left. Now, I'm glad that Pastor Dwayne took a bit of the heat for me because I was also going to tell you that summer is almost over. And so thank you, Pastor Dwayne, wherever you are, for taking the the heat for me. But if you can believe that just two weeks tomorrow, our entire preaching staff, we're leaving for Israel. Can you believe that? Two weeks tomorrow. And this is so cool. I think Pastor Janine is busy in in ministry. But if you know Pastor Janine, we leave on Monday. We get there on Tuesday, which is her birthday. Top that. (laughs) So we're looking forward to traveling together as a team. Last night was a, was a pretty cool night. How many people were looking up at the sky for the meteor shower? Anybody? Okay, one, two, three people out of a thousand. 
Okay, if you missed it last night, tonight you got one more chance. It won't be as spectacular, but at about 9.45 last night, Karen and I were sitting on the porch just kind of looking up, and we saw a fireball at 9.45 p.m. Started in the east, went up towards the north, and it kind of went just south of the, the North Star called Polaris. So if that sounds interesting to you, check that out tonight, okay? That has nothing to do with my message, but it's something really cool, and I just wanted to tell you about it, okay? <laughs> now, today, we're going to talk about a very, very familiar story. And whether you're in the room or if you're online, wherever in the world you are, I'm sure you've heard the story, or at least we've heard elements of the story, but we've never actually taken the time for ourselves and read the entire text. So our, our knowledge of the story, we rely upon other people to tell us what's in the story. And when we do that, we're in danger sometimes of not getting the whole, the whole context. So what I want to do today is, is uh, go to Numbers chapter 21 and, and bookmark it there. We're not going to go there yet. We're going to go there shortly. But Numbers 21 is where we're going to ha- um, kind of hang out today and, and camp out. And we're going to look at the story of the staff and the bronze serpent. And everybody knows about this story. But we don't really know the intricacies or the details of the story and what really happened and what led them to that point. Now, they're a few months away from entering into the promised land. I'm not going to take the time to go back all the way to Egypt and the ten plagues. If you want to recap, go online to our website, go to the archive section of the media, and you can watch all of those sermons again and kind of walk through that journey if you want to. But suffice it to say, they have been through this incredible experience with God and with one another. And here they are months away from stepping foot into that land that God had promised them. And they do what they always do. They complain. They're ungrateful. And because of their complaining, God gets upset. And the text says that God sent snakes, vipers, to the people. And all those who complained were bitten by the snake, and many of them died. And then what happens? The people said, oops, we did a bad thing. No, really? They repent, and God says, okay, Moses, I want you to take a staff, and I want you to make the snake made of bronze, and I want you to put it on the staff. And everybody who looks at it is going to be healed, those who were bitten by the snake. Sounds... Pretty straightforward. Now, three years ago, Karen and I had a chance to go to to Australia. And if you know anything about Australia, they are proud of the fact that they have animals that will kill you. And they are proud. We have the most venomous, toxic, and dangerous animals in the world. Now, we learned when we were there about a snake that's indigenous to Australia called the brown snake. And the brown snake is the only known snake in the world that will chase humans. Okay, that's one snake, and we were freaking out on a farm. God sends hundreds of thousands of vipers to chase and attack the people. And many of them were bitten. Now, just if you can, imagine for a moment that scenario. So before we get to that actual story... What comes out of it is a symbol that we carry with us throughout history. Many of us, when we think of the staff and we think of the serpent, there's a logo that comes to mind. Do you know what it is? Let me show you. It's the medical logo. Right? You go into pharmacies, into hospitals, doctor's offices, wherever you go. Many times you'll see this logo there. And people think that because when the people looked at the snake on the staff, they were healed, 
that that healing connection is somehow attached to the medical community. But if you look at the original text that says that there was one serpent that was put on the snake, sorry, on the staff, and if you look here, you see two. So where do we get this symbol from if it's not rooted in the Moses story? Believe it or not, it actually is rooted in a story in the Bible, but not the one that we think of. It comes from a story in the Gospel of John. Let me take you there real quick to John chapter 5. And we're going to look at how the origins of this this, this icon come from, and we're going to tie it back to the story in Numbers 21. So I just want you to, to bear with me as I make my way through the story. Now, John chapter 5 is a very well-known story. The Bible says that there was... Well, let me read it for you, okay? John chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. I want you to pay attention to all the verses here. It says that here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, and the paralyzed... And one who was there had been an invalid or paralyzed for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a very long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now, there's a whole sermon in this story, and maybe one day I'll preach it, but not today. Suffice it to say, did you miss something that was in these three verses? Any astute among us this morning? No, let me tell you. Verse 4 is missing. I told you we were going to read John chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, and verse 4 is missing. Where is it? Now, if you have an NIV Bible, look at the text, and there's probably some kind of a note there explaining why verse 4 is missing. For years, I'd go out and preach on this passage, and I would go, you know, on a website somewhere and copy and paste this part of Scripture, put it in my PowerPoint, go to a church and preach, and I would get there, and verse 4 would be missing. And I'd say to myself, how did I miss verse 4? I just highlighted it all, copied and pasted it. How did I miss verse 4? It doesn't seem possible. So I went back home, copied it again, verse 4 was missing. To find our missing verse, you have to go into another version the King James. Now, the King James has verse 4. It's one of the few, and this is what it says. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool, and it troubled the water. It stirred or moved the water. And whosoever then, first after the stirring or the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he or she had. So if you get what it's saying there in verse 4, that there was an angel that would come down from heaven, would get into the water and start moving it. And when you saw the the water moving, you were to step in and then you would get healed. Now, you won't admit it because you're in church. But afterwards, you're going to talk to somebody and you're going to say, that's a really weird verse. Right? Isn't that a weird verse? That an angel comes from heaven, jumps in a swimming pool, and if you join the angel for a swim, you'll be healed. I'm not making this up. That's what it says. And so this is the theology that's kind of evolved from there. First one in gets healed, too bad for the rest of you. Isn't that good, solid theology? What if I said this morning, you know, God's given me just a real anointing this morning for healing. And so the first person who runs down to the altar is going to be healed, the rest of you? Not so much. How many would think that's a fair altar call? But yet, that's what happens. Why is verse 4 missing? 
Well, the King James, although many people believe it to be a very, very strong translation of the originals, it's actually it's more on the weaker side because it's made up from a document called the Textus Receptus, which wasn't compiled until 1100 A.D. That's a thousand years after the life of Jesus and the disciples. So the King James draws on that. But the NIV and other versions, they go back to a document that was created 150 years after the life of Jesus. So that document is much closer to the date and time the people in the scriptures lived. And in those documents, in those older documents, verse 4 is not there. Because it's copied from a previous version and it wasn't there. So it's telling us, and scholars agree now, that verse 4 was not in the original. So why why is it there? This is where understanding the culture and understanding the, the people in the land of Israel comes um, in really, really important. The Jewish people were forbidden from, from worshiping idols and, and false gods. God had called them to be different than other nations. He said, I want you to be a peculiar people. I want you to stand out and be different and show people how to live for me. But Israel Although they were given this commandment and this responsibility, they didn't want it. They wanted to be like everyone else. It was a very childish type of attitude to take on. But we don't want to be different, Dad. We want to be like everyone else. People make fun of you when you're different. When you stand out and you don't do what the crowd is doing, people make fun of you. We don't want to be different. We just want to be like everyone else. And we see this in their lives. You know, God gave them judges to be different, but the other nations had kings, and they said, we want to have a king too. And so God gave them a king, and they went down that path, and it led them to a very, very dark and terrible history. One of Israel's kings even got into the worship of a Canaanite god named Moloch, and they began to offer up and sacrifice their their children to this false idol. And so instead of being different, they kind of went along with the crowd and wanted to be like everyone else. And this was uh, no different when it came to what's called Greek mythology. Alexander the Great came into northern Israel. He brought mythology into the land. It was different. It was the worship of many gods. In Israel, they only had one god to worship, and that wasn't enough for them. They wanted more because they wanted to be like all the other nations. They wanted to be cool, or so they thought. And so they got into this plethora of worshiping other gods, and it became known as Hellenism, and there was a Greek god in that culture, and that god's name was Asclepius. Let me show you a picture of him here. What's the first thing that jumps out at you about the Greek god Asclepius? What does he have? He has a staff with a snake coiled around it. There's so many things I could say about him, but let me just say this. This was the belief that he had the ability to heal with water. And that whenever his healing abilities began to rise, it was said that the snake that was at his feet would begin to coil up the staff. And when it coiled up, it would start, it would disturb the waters. <clears throat> and so whenever they saw the waters disturbed in the pools, they thought, Asclepius is here, so let's jump into the water. So they began to mix Hellenism. And they started to use it as as an idol. And so if you think about it, this idea of Asclepius takes them all the way back to Numbers chapter 21. 
the superstition that if you looked at something, it would heal you. And, and before we, we get a little too judgy of our, of our Jewish friends and we say, how can they believe in such silly superstitions? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But how many of us believe in silly superstitions? Don't step on the crack. Break your mama's back. Black cat walks in front of you. Oh, no. Don't walk under a ladder. Don't break a mirror. You'll have seven years of bad luck. Have you heard of these things? Okay, I'm not going to ask how many of you believe in those things. But we all have superstitions. And so this superstition takes them all the way back to Numbers 21. So let me just take a few minutes here and read it for you. And then we're going to break it down and get three things that I believe are going to help us out. So Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. It says, they traveled from Mount Or along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. And they spoke out against God and against Moses. And they said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Am I repeating Pastor Doug's message from last week? Isn't that what he said exactly? And the week before? And the week before? Here they go again, going down the road to the good old days in Egypt. They were awesome. Because they glamorized the event. They only remember the good, but they forgot the bad. And so why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? There's no bread. There's no water. And we detest, we hate this miserable food. Here it is again. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we've sinned. No, really? (laughs) We've sinned. When we spoke against the Lord and against you, pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a snake and and put it up on a pole, and anyone who is bitten can look at it, and they'll live. So Moses made the bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by the snake, looked up at the bronze snake, they lived. The first verse that we looked at, verse 4, we need to get a little bit of context to understand what it's saying there, why they went along one way instead of the other. So let me show you a map here of their journey. Uh, We're not going to go all the way back in time to to Ramesses, to Goshen, to that part of the land. We know that they were there, and God could have taken them right across the water. Do you see that? Across the Mediterranean, boom, there's Canaan. A few days they would have been there. But we know that God took them way, way down to the south, and then hooked back around, then crossed, and then came up, and God reroutes them. We're going to look at that today of why God sometimes direct us, directs us to another path. Initially, they were there at Mount Or. You see it there on the right-hand side. And then they went over to Kadesh Barnea, and they settled there for a bit. And then God said, now you can go up into the land of Canaan. What a direct route. See how clear that is? And that was a good land. It was green. It was fertile. There was water. There was, what does it say? There was milk. There was honey. There was pomegranates. There was dates. It was a good land. But there's one thing the Israelites didn't like. Do you remember what they were? Giants. 
There was giants in the land. And although God had done so much for them, they assumed that God wouldn't be able to get rid of the giants. So instead of taking this lush, beautiful, scenic, calm route, God sends them eastward. They have to go back across and north through this valley filled with mountains and snakes and vipers. And I'm sure Israel were wondering, why has God sent us this way? Well, this is our first point. It's this, that God's path is not always the most direct route. Has anybody experienced that to be true in their lives? Yeah? Everybody's here, right? Okay, I said you were afraid of this message. You don't have to be afraid. Okay? We all have experienced this, and sometimes God reroutes us because he has a better way. Does anybody have a GPS app on their phone? Where would we be without Google Maps or Waze or whatever that you lose? I go to the, to the Starbucks down the street from my house, and I turn on my GPS just in case there's traffic. I need to know. Nothing can get in the way of my coffee. I need to know. And one of the nice things about GPS is that even if you miss your exit, it'll recalculate for you, right, and give you a new route. Now, sometimes when you use your GPS... When you don't know the area, you trust it, right? You go with whatever it says. But I've noticed that when I know the area, sometimes it'll take me some weird way. And I say, no, I know it's faster to go this way. And I don't listen to the GPS. And I go there anyways, and there's traffic, there's construction. And I think, ah, I should have listened. I thought, my goodness, that's what happened here to the Israelites. God had shown them a way, but they deviated from the route because they didn't trust They're a GPS master. (laughs) And they ran into traffic. They ran into roadblock time and time again. When we go back to that night of the Exodus, we saw that route. They could have taken the fast way, but no. God knew there was an army there who would have destroyed them utterly within days of being released. And so God reroutes them. And it's frustrating to go the long way. It's frustrating to go around Because we think we know the better way, and surely our way is better than God's way. And it's frustrating. And many times it's days, months, years, decades, until after we've gone through an experience where we say, wow, Lord, thank you, I dodged the bullet. I didn't see it coming. I was so angry. I was so upset. I was so disappointed. But looking back now, wow, you really saved me. You really knew what you were doing. Let me give you some examples of things that we go through in life at the time that we don't understand, but later they come back. What if some of us could go back 10 years in time and see yourself? What about 20 years in time? What would you tell yourself 10 or 20 years ago of what you know now? What things would you say, don't do that? Don't go over there. Don't eat this. Don't Right? Would you tell yourself stuff? But you only could do that because you went through the experience and now you have experience and you can go back. What about the job you have now? What if they gave you that job when you were 17 years old? Could you have done it? Maybe there was a job you wanted at the time, but you didn't get it and you thought, why didn't I get that job? I was qualified for it and God sent you somewhere else. But now you realize, wow, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. What about that relationship you went through? 
That was hard. That was hurtful. That was heartbreaking. You say, God, why did I go through this? Because even in that difficulty, in that tough relationship, you learn something. You learn how to communicate. You learn how to trust. You learn how to be strong. And when you met your spouse, you knew it was time and it was the right one. But what if you met them at the wrong time and you weren't ready? Who knows what we would have missed out on. So the truth is that even though we see the direct route in front of us, it's not always the best option. Let me show you a Google map here that we, we, we made this up, okay? So I live out in Milton, and we picked Oshawa way out on the east end because you have to go right through the heart of the city to get there. You can see there's a, there's a couple of direct routes there, and then there's a really crazy route that takes twice as long to get there. This is where knowledge is power. This is where being able to see the present the past and the future really come in handy. If you are at my house in Milton at 5 o'clock on Friday, and then you had to be in Oshawa for 6 o'clock, how many would take the 401? You would never take the 401. Why? Because you have experience of being stuck there before. If you were visiting, you'd say, of course I'm going to take the 401. This is the best and easiest route. And then, oh my goodness, three hours later, you get there. You could pay a little bit of money and take the 407. That'll get you there too. But look at the third option. That's crazy. For some of us, that's our life. (laughs) Way out in left field, back roads with no lights at night thinking, why are you taking me this way? And it won't be until much further in life you'll look back and say, wow, God help me avoid all this congestion in my life, all this traffic, all this junk, all that nonsense. I didn't see it at the time, but God helped me navigate it all. You see, God's outside of time and space, and he can see the beginning, the middle, and the end at the same time. Guess what? That's an advantage. That's an advantage. He can see things that we could never see. There's a beautiful verse that really just spoke to me as I was preparing this message, and we see it in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. This is God speaking, and he says, Joe, put your name there. He says, Joe, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And reverse it, and he says, your thoughts, they aren't my thoughts. I know more than you. I've been around longer than you. I've seen more than you. I can see more than you. Joe, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And your ways, they're not my ways. I know you think you know. But if you'll trust me and rely on me, God says, Joe, I really know. I'll get you there. And I don't know about you, but that can be a very, very comforting verse when we're going through difficult times. And even this verse in Psalm 23, we all know it very well. He says, he restores my soul and he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The paths of righteousness, and a lot of times we see it as a road or as a walkway, and there's a straight path that we walk in, but that's not what the Bible is talking about at all. Let me show you this image here of a hillside, and if you look on that hillside, you'll see that there's these grooves in the mountain. Do you see that? Those are only a few inches wide. Those are there because after thousands and thousands of years, goats are walking around the mountain 
slowly winding their way till they get to the top where the greenest and best grass is. You see, because a goat, a long time ago, tried to go straight up, couldn't get any grip, slid down the mountain, and died. The next goat said, hmm, that's not the best decision. (laughs) So it started to walk around. Slowly but surely, and over time, it carved out these grooves. And the psalmist said, Lord, you take me in these paths of righteousness. It's not always the most direct route, but it's the best route. Come on. And sometimes we get impatient. Some of you can't wait for this message to be over. Ouch. You know, and we're so quick to judge the Israelites, aren't they? Are we? Why didn't they trust God? Why couldn't they be more patient? You know what? I get it. I'm 47 years old. They have spent over 38 years at this point camping in the wilderness. Does anybody here love camping? You're not putting up your hand because you know I'm going to slam it in a second. You know, some people love it, right? My brother and his wife, if they could camp all year round, they would do it. Some people love, you know, the tents, the pop-up trailers, the campfires, all that really great stuff, sleeping bags and all that. I get that. That's fine. And I love all the adventure stuff. I just choose at night to go to a place that has a bed, (laughs) that has running water, and really good Wi-Fi. That's me. So I get why they were complaining. They had spent 38 years camping, and there was no indoor plumbing. (laughs) I had to modify my message when I got here this morning. Is it okay if I'm honest with you about something that happened to me on the way in? I believe in being transparent. I believe that when we're transparent, that people will come with us on a journey. Now, on Friday night after GLS, I had to go home and rewrite the ending of the message because there was so much good stuff for today's message, I had to rewrite it. And then I got here, and I said, oh, i got to tell the people. I need to confess. Something happened to me on the way in this morning that probably happened to a lot of you, but I just have the opportunity to share it with you and everybody else out there. I left the house at 7 o'clock this morning, which I do every Sunday to come into church to get ready. We do sound checks. We pray together. We just get our hearts ready to come out here and just and serve. And on the way in, I was taking Britannia, which is a back road, right, out by Milton. And the speed limit is 80 kilometers per hour. Everybody say 80 kilometers per hour, right? So I'm doing, well, I'm trying to do 80 kilometers per hour, and you're never going to believe what happened to me. There was this person in front of me at 7 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. And guess how fast he was going? 80 kilometers per hour. (laughs) Who does 80 in an 80 zone at 7 o'clock in the morning? And then I caught myself and said, Joe, you're such a turkey. You're complaining about the guy doing the speed limit on the way to church to preach a message on not complaining. (laughs) That's called honesty, okay? (laughs) So much more there, but I got (laughs) it. 
Let, let me take you to our, our final thought this morning, okay? We're, we're talking about patience, and we're talking about not complaining, trusting God that the, the shortest route isn't always the best route, and just believing that He's taking you on this journey for a reason, and that we need to be quick to forgive, we need to be quick to repent, and, and quick to obey. And the third point is this, you know, repentance is good, but obedience is, is best. Obedience is even better. Let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. Have you ever heard the saying, too little, too late? Like, I appreciate it when somebody does something wrong against me, and then they come and they apologize. I, I appreciate that. But you know what I appreciate more? If you hadn't done that thing in the first place. Men, when we come home and we snap at our wives or at our children or at our dogs, and then we say, oh, I'm sorry, I had a bad day, and your wife will say, no, no, I appreciate you apologizing, but just leave your grumpiness outside next time. Or about when your children do something and they say, oh, Dad, I'm sorry I did that. No, thank you. But next time, just, just listen. Trust me when I tell you to do this because I'm doing it for a reason. So repentance is good, but obedience is better. Would you agree with that? Sometimes in our impatience, we make decisions that we might regret. I found this proverb, this Chinese proverb, that I thought was very, very fitting for what we were talking about this morning, but how decisions that we make in, in times of impatience can be disastrous for us later. And this is what it says. I, we have it here for this, on the screen. It says that one moment of patience may ward off great disaster, but one moment of impatience may ruin a whole life. And when we operate in impatience, often it's because we don't trust God in the long journey. We want to take that fast route because we're afraid of what might happen if we actually trust and go the long way. And I got to thinking, what if the Israelites had just trusted God and went across and up through that valley in that fertile region? What would have happened if they actually had just trusted God? They would have seen them kill giants. They would have avoided 38 years of desert wandering. Everybody would have entered into the promised land. An entire generation would not have to have died away. They didn't because it was too hard to trust God, although the evidence was on God's side. And, you know, I wonder when we look at our lives, when we look at our present day situations and circumstances, the very thing that we're going through, what is it that we would say, God, I just, I'm afraid to go that way. We don't have enough trust in our hearts to, to go that way because we think that his way isn't the best way. And then we do our own thing and it goes off course and then we get angry and we blame God. And many times, oftentimes, it's because of the decisions that we have made and so repentance is good but the best thing is to trust him and to obey him you know this is beautiful that God writes a customized story for each one of us and then he invites you to be a part of it 
He writes it, but then he invites us to participate and join in with him. And guys, God has a better story for you than anything you ever could have written yourself. Come on. I want to do something different to to close today. Often we, we go to a response song and we worship together, and that's a beautiful thing to do. But today, is it okay if I pray for you? Yeah, could I ask you to just to stand up to your feet and just kind of review and think about what we've talked about here today. The biggest of dreams, hopes, and visions that we have can be completely destroyed and rendered useless if we allow fear and mistrust to rule. So my prayer for you this morning is that you would learn to trust. Learn to obey. To know that when God takes us on that crazy journey, that he has our best interest at heart. Does anybody believe that this morning? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what we can learn from what these people, the children of Israel, went through so long ago. And like them, God, we focus so much on what we don't have that we forget to thank you for what we do have. And so many times we trust and lean on our own abilities and understanding, and Lord, that that never pans out. Father, I pray that you would help us to, to trust you Lord, to put aside that fear, Lord, fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of what other people are going to think or say about us, fear of whatever. I pray that we would put that fear to the side, that we would step out from the shadows into your marvelous light and say, Lord, here I am, lead me. I will go where you call me. The book of James says that if we draw near to him, He will absolutely, totally, and completely draw near to us. So, Lord, as we draw near to you in this moment, Lord, we just, we're vulnerable before you. Our hearts are open before you. And we say, search us, O God. And as we bring ourselves closer to you, as we draw close to you, God, draw close to every person in this room here today or wherever they are in the world watching this broadcast, Lord, draw near to us and help us to trust and obey in Jesus' name. Amen.